So first of all, let's uh, congratulate uh, uh, Jim Schmidt and Chris Ladoulis for making it to the runoff. Thank you, thank you. And given the long fall campaign season, uh, we want to use this, kind of a, have a different kind of conversation. We want them to ask questions of one another. We want them to try to show how they uh, would do things differently and how they're different. You have two choices for mayor, and we want to uh, you know, kind of have a, uh, give you an opportunity to see a difference there. Um, I think over the last three weeks, Chad and I have probably got about a dozen questions that people sent us through email or text or stopped us on the street. We appreciate that, and we'll try to get to all those questions, as well as take some of the audience. And we are going to do a segment where we'll ask Chris and Jim to look at each other and ask questions of one another. I have no idea what that will be like. <laughs> but we think it'll be interesting. Uh, let's start uh, right now. They're both sitting up here on the stage at the Millardi, and they each will have, if they want it, three minutes to give an opening statement about why they want to be mayor of Crested Butte. Jim, you want to go first? Sure. First of all, I want I want to thank all those who voted for me this fall and for giving me the most votes. It's been a great honor to have your support and the support of those I have spoken to in this last month. I'm running for mayor because I have the experience, the wisdom, and the ability to come up with new ideas and recognize the great ideas of others. No member of the council has more than two years of experience and three are brand new. I am greatly impressed by their enthusiasm, however, with the recent retirements of most of the senior staff, um, senior staff members of the town, it is essential to have a person with the institutional knowledge and the proven leadership capabilities to lead this council. I'm running for mayor because there are many major issues on the table that need to be addressed. I will continue to fight for the citizens of Crested Butte with intelligence, integrity, and with passion. Many years ago, President Kennedy asked, what can you do for your country? And implored us to take on challenges because they are hard, not because they are easy. I am continually inspired by those words. I'm running for mayor because we need to review the town's many plans. The plan for the roundabout, the Cypress pre-annexation plan, the traffic plan, and the recreation plan. We have an energy plan, but I would like to challenge everybody in town, the council, the staff, everybody to think out of the box. We have an awful lot of smart people in this community to come up with ideas that really affect us, really can help with the, uh, the greening of the town. I think that's really important. We have a great town, but together we can make it even better. Thank you. It's an honor to be here in front of you, have an opportunity to be the next mayor of Crested Butte. And I think my mic's turned up a little loud. So let me know if that's working, Chad. I feel like Jim might have the home court advantage here on the Malarty <laughs> Theater stage. <laughs> I moved to town 18 years ago this week, um, or this month actually. And like a lot of people, I escaped the big city I was ready to get away from uh, the hustle and bustle. I had a job, a good job, and wanted to try something new. I wanted to experience a small town. I had been to Crested Butte once, and I stayed in the claim jumper. And I thought, this 
is one cool town. <laughs> I met a lot of people who had first names, and I even met some people who had last names, um, but certainly more nicknames than anywhere I'd been before. Um, what I found about Crested Butte was it, you know, we pride ourselves on it being very unique. We're blissfully um, immune from what goes on in the rest of the world sometimes, but there's always a balance. There are people of different demographics, uh, different uh, life history. We've all been here um, trying to make a go of it, um, but more than anything, I observed that we all really get along, but we like to fight about things. Um, but there's a balance to Crested Butte, and no matter what uh, we're facing, we tend to work it out. And I think that's one of the striking things I've noticed over the years is that there's always this balance. There's growth versus no growth. There's to, to what extent we want to embrace change. And there's the business community and the social programs and nonprofits that we want to support. And it's a really unique mix that we have. So over the years, I've tried a lot of different jobs. I have uh, been a KBT DJ. I have started a new career. I now run a restaurant with my wife. Um, and so there's always something new to try. And I feel like Crested Butte allows you to succeed or fail. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to get more and more involved and become a council member. So four years ago, I ran to really um, contribute back to the town and help lead us in what, um, what Crested Butte would face in the future. And so more and more I'm seeing that the changes coming at us are coming faster, they're more powerful, the elements that we are interacting with um, will shape Crested Butte in a way that it never has before. And I feel like we need a mayor that will be fair, uh, but decisive, be very thoughtful, incorporate all the feedback, um, but more than anything, to be consistent so you always know where I stand. I feel that I will always make decisions in the best interest of this town. I love being here. I want to stay here, and I hope to become your next mayor. Okay, I'm Chad Rich. My wireless microphone just died, so I'm stealing Chris Ledoulos' microphone for a moment. Thanks, everyone. So we have got, we've compiled some questions from some listeners at KBUT, readers of the news, um, and we're going to talk, or we're going to ask some of those right now. Up first, Frank Stern wants to know, and we'll start with Delhi. Frank Stern wants to know, he understands that both candidates want the town to be more green. Please provide specifics on how you would do this. Would you commit to 100% renewable energy by 2030? Would you commit to the Paris Agreement? Uh, yes and yes. As I mentioned in my opening, I think that's one of the most important things we can do. Um, when I came back on council eight years ago, one of the first things I asked uh, the state was looking to a micro-hydro micro -hydro, uh, plant to uh, see if it would work on our water supply system. Uh, we probably have enough head on that 
to propel it, but the problem is in a drinking water situation, you can't get oil in it and stuff like that. So, but there's possibility of working out possibly on some of the irrigation ditches. Um, somebody mentioned there is uh, geothermal hot water down like a thousand feet below us. I really don't know about that. I, like I said, I want to challenge people to come up with an idea. Can we use that? Um, I want to cover by solar panels on the rest of the um, sewer plant out there for the town. I bought one. I probably won't live long enough to pay for it, but the town's going to live long enough to pay for it many, many times over for all those panels out there. So I think we have to do everything possible we can. And yes, uh, we do need to join in the Paris Accords. Uh, yes and yes. On both of those questions, I think um, Town of Crested Butte can, can really play a significant role. And we like to think of ourselves as leaders in a lot of different initiatives. Energy is really important, both because protecting the environment is dear to a lot of people who live here, but um, we also live at 9,000 feet and have a significant impact on the environment. So for 100% renewable energy, I think that is very attainable. I think it's something that not only should we say that we want to do it, but we should actually do it. Um, and much of the energy consumed in this area is consumed collectively uh, through our local energy co-op, GCEA. And we have an opportunity every 15 years to negotiate and uh, put the conditions of our franchise agreement. We signed that in 2012, and we signed a 15-year renewal. And since then, the town has committed to, in its buildings, uh, use 100% renewable sources. I would like to see the town work with GCEA so that in 10 years, when we get ready to renew that franchise agreement again, that we, we can put conditions and work with them on how the entire collective town can draw 100% renewables. Thank you, candidates. Fix the microphone. Okay, Laura and others, several sent a similar email, want to know about the Warming House project and what you will do to ensure that the Warming House expansion happens. It's been approved, but nothing is happening with it. 100 kids with the Nordic camp, or with the Nordic kids and hockey kids have the building bursting at the seams. So what will you do to ensure the Warming House expansion happens? That's, uh, that's a good question. The Warming House expansion uh, is trying to satisfy two needs, the Nordic Center and the Hockey Association, if I'm not mistaken. Is this? <laughs> that's right. I just want to make sure you're not throwing a CBR tr CBMR trick question on me. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of two things. It's been proposed as a pretty expensive project and it's gone back and forth. We've had two constituencies that are trying to expand locker rooms but also provide better Nordic services. At one point they um, went two different roads to uh, potentially expand in two footprints. They've since combined and we just got a price tag and it's much greater than we thought. So to make that expansion happen I hope the two groups will work together to reduce the footprint. I like the idea of sharing uh, the facility. I like the direction that they've taken. 
And so I would encourage them to work together, and if town can support that, um, I think the gr those groups should take the lead, but I'd like uh, the town to participate in any way that we can. I certainly agree with many of the things that Chris just said. The town has uh, put a commitment into the building. We uh, uh, improved the water and sewer service to the building. It was uh, woefully inadequate, especially if we're going to add on locker rooms and any uh, public bathrooms. We did that um, a couple years ago. But Chris is right. The price tag on the proposed building is really quite high. I understand the two, uh, Nordic Center and the hockey, uh, was it Weeha? Um, we're going to get together and see what they can propose to raise some money for this. It's, I mean, they're in a real tough situation now of raising money. I think the price tag was over $3 million, if I recall. And um, uh, I proposed several years ago to do a stopgap measure to put in some locker rooms without restrooms in it, and that's the problem. They're a lot cheaper to do that way, and you can put some heat in it. But it, it unfortunately reminds me somewhat of the whole hockey uh, thing when we first started talking about putting a hockey arena up, people wanted to do, you know, the full-blown covered ice um, with refrigerated ice that cost a lot of money. We ended up, and that would have been about $3 million for, for just that. And we ended up with, a, you know, getting a, a really good grant for Great Outdoors Colorado to, to uh, build the building we have now. Um, I hope there is a hockey and Nordic ferry out there that wants to come and, and donate a whole bunch of money uh, for this. They're competing against the Center for the Arts. They're competing against phys physically challenged ski programs. So there's a lot of people out there locally with their hands out. And heaven knows by my phone calls and emails nationally, too, everybody wants money. It's Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> by the way, grab a present on your way out. So. <laughs> Sure. I broke my microphone again. <laughs> <clears throat> Teresa asks, with the Adaptive Sports Center moving into the outpost building at the base area, the Trailhead Children's Museum will be homeless. Will you look into a subsidy or a grant to keep the museum operating? What could you do to keep the museum from going out? We'll start with Chris. Absolutely. I I mean, we have to allow and help and support the trailhead. We do that with the Heritage Museum on Elk Avenue. And if we have an opportunity to find and work with them to find a home, that's a very important thing, both to those of us here in town and throughout the community. It's shared um, across the entire north end of the valley. So. You know, as Jim pointed out, there are a lot of needs and a lot of wants. Uh, Trailhead Museum probably bubbles to the top of that list of things that satisfy both. Certainly with the new Arts Center, there's going to, there's going to be some more room that we can use for different things. Uh, I don't know if that would be appropriate for the Trailhead. I think the Trailhead was part of the original super huge uh, plan for the uh, Center for the Arts. But hopefully there'll be some other rooms opening up throughout the town um, that will be able to accommodate this. The town has a lot of pieces of property around from the depot to the pump room. Um, 
we just have to look and see where we can fit this in. It's tough. Thanks, Deli. On June 5th of this year, the Town Council passed Ordinance Number 6, Series 2017, which placed limits on vacation rentals within the town of Crested Butte. Jim voted for the ordinance and Chris voted against the ordinance. Explain why you either voted for or against the ordinance. That's the short-term rental, the STR ordinance we've been talking about for over a year. It's one of the most, uh, and I mentioned this several times during the process, it's one of the most difficult things I think that came before council because there's so many competing interests and competing interests with um, very good reasoning. What we came up was a compromise that Roland and I uh, basically put together it's different from everybody else's. I was just reading in the paper today that, uh, or rather on the internet today, that uh, Vail is still struggling with what to do with their ordinance. It seems like every town in America and many throughout the world are struggling with the short-term rental uh, ordinances. You know, people say personal property rights, let me do anything. Other people say personal property rights, I move to a residential neighborhood, I want a residential. Uh, we have a compromise. Some people will think it's not fair. I think it's a very fair compromise. It gives something to the locals who want to rent for up to 60 days, can make a little money, but uh, it limits the amount of, you know, the commercialization of the residential areas, and I think that's important. Like I say, it's a compromise. We'll see how it works. It'll probably have to be reviewed, but I think it's a really good step. Um, Anyhow, I was proud that we got there. It took a long time, but I think it's a very good ordinance. I supported uh, the idea of Ordinance 6, but not its final version. I voted against that one. We had two ordinances originally in 2016. They were Ordinances 12 and 13. 12 put licensing um, into the town code so that all units had to be inspected, licenses were required. Um, after wrestling with that for almost a year, I moved to split the two bills, or the two ordinances, so that Ordinance 12 could pass, and we, we did pass that at the end of 16. In 17, Ordinance 6 went round and round, and if you followed it, you'll remember the green zone and the white zone, and a lot of the issue that the council had was that the compromise struck was to expand short-term rentals into the Virgue annexation and the meadows and the mobile home zones. Previously insulated from the short-term rental market with some exception for those who had licenses that had been given away um, inadvertently by town. But I felt that the higher density area um, just east of 6th Street needed to be preserved, as did the mobile homes, so that there wasn't pressure. And the Virgue annexation had been uh, somewhat insulated from short-term rentals. That's why I voted against Ordinance 6. I am glad that we have caps on short-term rentals. Our town needs it. And I consistently argued that we needed a way for a, a distinction to be drawn between those who own their homes 
as a permanent residence who wanted to uh, rent it short term up to 180 days, and I was comfortable with that. We trimmed that back to 60. I wish we hadn't. I'd like someone who owns a home as their permanent voting residence uh, to be able to, to rent that longer. And as, as has been pointed out, we will learn from this. We now, through Ordinance 12, have a staff uh, initiative to follow and collect data, and we will learn and adapt along the way. Thank you. Good work. Regarding Brush Creek, but this is more, this is less about Brush Creek, but Brush Creek as the example. The scenario has shown a disconnect between the, t the council and the county commissioners. What will you do to mend and improve future relations with county commissioners so we can have more constructive valley-wide dialogues in the future? Chris, let's start with you on this one. Brush Creek is a, is a big issue, and it'll probably come up more than once tonight. Um, it's one of many uh, pressures that the county and the town have right now. Uh, you'll read in the paper about affordable housing and the Brush Creek proposal, um, about the annexation uh, just north of town, about the sh sheriff service throughout the county on the north end, and our relationship is strained. And I think that the best way to fix that t is to keep an open dialogue and talk with the commissioners on a frequent basis personally. Um, I've been at every planning commission meeting in Gunnison, and at every one of those meetings, I've been talking with the county commissioners about the proposal. And uh, being able to talk with them personally makes a world of difference. One of them made the comment that, I sure appreciate talking with you in person. It's much better than talking through the newspaper. And as much as uh, we like to summarize our statements, sometimes grandstand, and pound our fist on the table, face-to-face uh, -face communication is what is really required. And I think we have to let them know what our goal is and what we're trying to accomplish, not just what we don't like about what they're doing. I like to think that our, rather my relationship with the county commissioners uh, individually is pretty strong. I have talked to, uh, I haven't talked to Phil lately, but I've talked to the other two uh, quite a bit in the last month. Um, I, yeah. I guess my main problem has been with the county staff. And I'm not sure if they are representing uh, the commissioners all the time. Uh, they certainly do come on uh, very strong. And it's, um, I, I found, well, I find it surprising uh, that they've been so uh, difficult to see Crusty Butte's uh, side of things on, on things like the police in um, Brush Creek, and for that matter, for the county clerk's office. Um, like I say, I've been disappointed about that. Um, it's not my job to make the county staff happy. 
it's my job to make the people of this town, uh, you know, be responsible to them and make their lives the best that they can. So sometimes it is necessary uh, to take a stand and not get bullied over. Um, sometimes it doesn't always work as smoothly as you'd like, but uh, um, I think the most important thing on Brush Creek is to point out the differences between what they have and um, what they're offering and what the land use resolution calls for. Um, I have a lot of statistics about their, their uh, affordable housing things, but uh, maybe we'll get into that later, so. I think I'd like to take a question from the audience here and uh, mix it up a little bit. Would, would someone like to ask a question? No one here would like <laughs> to ask a question. I don't believe any of you at all. We'll take one here and then we'll go there. This is Jess. Yeah, this is Jess. I've been here for about 10 years now and definitely have seen a lot of changes happening in Crested Butte. And I'm wondering, with the idea of planning for the future, planning ahead, and trying to get ahead of certain issues, um, what would your top two issues be and what is a little out or a little summarize of your plan for that issue? I'll be happy to go first. Uh, my top two issues are first housing. It's been an issue for many, many, many years. It's difficult, it, well, it's impossible to get ahead of it. Um, the town for many years has said we will focus on uh, house, housing to, uh, for purchase housing and we had hoped that the county and Mount CB would focus on uh, short-term rentals, seasonal rentals, and all that. The most important thing I feel about housing is it provides a town. It provides, uh, you know, people that we know, people who act in theater, people who are in the fire department, people who are EMTs that live here. It's frustrating. Uh, I think we only have one plow driver that lives in town. I don't think we have any policemen that live in town anymore. Completely changed. Um, so that's that's my number one issue. Uh, we, we probably need to up the density on land that we put on in uh, Paradise Park and uh, possibly up the density on the land that could possibly come, be coming in with the Cypress annexation. The second issue is uh, the mine, uh, Mount Emmons. It seems to have kind of faded in the background. It has been so important for 40 years that I've been here, so important for the, to keep the open space, to keep this valley green, to keep this a livable place. Um, I think we can't, it was, you know, two years ago or a year ago, we voted that as our number one issue uh, in the council. Um, I don't think much is going to happen with the present administration in the United States and with the present uh, Congress. Um, I don't think anything's going to happen for, for a while, but at the same time, there's no huge demand for Mali. So 
but we still need to keep on top of it and, and keep very aware of it. Thanks for your question, Jess. Um, you mentioned that over your 10 years that you've been in town, you've seen a lot of change. How does a plan fit in? What would our top priorities be? Um, certainly since I've moved here, I've seen a lot of change, as has everyone. From the time that we moved to Crested Butte, every five to 10 years, we're all seeing change. And I think more important than saying whether we're against or for change, it's what, is, what do we want that change to look like? It's going to happen. And I know there's a question about growth, and I don't think it's a question that we don't want growth. It's a question of how do we manage it? Because I agree, we all want no more growth than we absolutely have to have here in the north end of the valley. Without a plan, I fear that we will have more change and more growth than we want. And the end result without a plan will end up being uh, potentially less desirable than we'd hoped. And so I feel strongly that we need, we need to plan and prioritize what is most important for us and figure out how we're going to execute it, not just what those items are. I agree the mine is the absolute most important thing to Crested Butte. It is not the most urgent for the next year and a half, potentially while we uh, would be seated as mayor. That will be resolved and that will continue, but we have moved that $2 million bond, anticipated bond spend from 2018 into a further year. And that's great news that we have that opportunity and discussions continue with freeport McMoran. So what continues to be the most urgent and important issues for town are affordable housing. And I believe not only will we always have affordable housing as a challenge, um, but until we solve the issue of our economy and the way that we provide jobs and the type of jobs that we provide in the north end of the valley, the affordable housing situation will be worse. So one of the, challenge, one of the challenges we have is that we have a very tourist-driven economy, a very July-focused tourist economy, and those are very low-paying jobs in the services and restaurants. And I know because we employ upwards of 25 people in July and then trim down to about three or four in November. I would very much like to see additional uh, employers have an opportunity to have more full-time year-round jobs in our community. I would like to see less reliance on tourism as our primary driver and I'd like to shape that as much as we can. So that's one of my top two priorities is how do we tackle affordable housing? And I think that's a concerted effort of a lot of different things and not the silver bullet proposed with Brush Creek. And I think we need to consistently uh, and just as hard try to work with our employers and the big um, segments of our economy that have, it, have an opportunity to employ people year round. To all those listening on KBUT, here's maybe a familiar voice for you. This is Jim. Jackson Petito said in his opening at the Candidates Forum, I don't think we should grow one more visitor or shorten off-season one more hour until we make what we have today sustainable. Now, Jackson received more votes than either of you. Are, are, you, are either of you willing to alter your positions and get behind that statement. 
I'll be happy to answer that. I will get behind Jackson's sentiment, and I completely agree that we shouldn't grow any more than we have to. And I guess the question is how? And our, our challenge right now is to figure out what we can control and what we can't and what we promote and what we choose not to and how we influence those who do visit and when they come. And I think we have a lot more control than we've chosen to exert in recent years. And on the question of off-season, however, that's where I will differ with Jackson. I believe that there are a lot of people, especially in the business community, who would very much like to be busy in October and November. Uh, we're in a catch-22. We are so busy in July that we need October and November to rest. I'd happily give up half our business in July if you'd give it to me again in October and November. Well, I too agree with Jackson's sentiment. I'm not sure if it's realistic. Um, and I'm not sure if what Chris is talking about uh, being realistic in growing the off-seasons. We are what we are. We are. It's beautiful in the summer. It's, it's a ski place in the winter. It's, you know, we have two long off-seasons. It's not very pleasant out there right now. Um, but if we emphasize... What I've watched over the years is when the emphasis is on advertising for the off-season, it increases the summer season, too. It's kind of a carryover. You know, come to Crested Butte in September. Come to Crested Butte in early June. Well, people see that and say, oh, well, but it doesn't work for that time, so I'm going to come in July and August. Um, that is our our problem up here. Uh, you know, there are things like the Comedy Festival, and people said, well, it's going to be okay. It's going to be in early June. I love June because it's not that busy. It's kind of just the right amount. And the weather is beautiful, and, you know, I had such a wonderful time being out on the ball diamond uh, in June and just enjoying the sunsets and everything and the beautiful weather and thinking that I'm glad that I'm not getting called that I have to work uh, this day. It's, it's a very difficult thing and you know to throw in what's happening nationally, this new tax policy um, is going to make things even more difficult because it, it's definitely a tax policy that is going to expand the, the um, income gap between the highest and lowest. There's no doubt about that and I don't think it's going to help in any way to help the the workers up here, uh, and I, I see programs being cut, you know, in housing uh, nationally and that, and that's going to trickle down and affect us. That's going to be our phase to the trickle-down theory. We're going to get trickled on. So, uh, okay. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> well, we're going to do something a little bit different that we've never done at one of these forums before, and we're going to ask the two candidates to ask each other a question. So, let's have eeny, meeny, miny, mo catch tiger by his toe. Deli, go first. Okay, you want several questions or just one? Let me see. 
we let's actually start with let's just start with one at a time one okay um should why I, are you running? should i duck yeah, sure <laughs> <laughs> why are you running for council at this time a week before the election you were considering running for or for mayor at this time rather a week before the election you were considering running for council or not and uh, you decided only at the very last minute. I mean, you called me an hour before the petitions were due. Uh, so you decided at the very last minute to run for mayor. Uh, I've noticed that over your four-year term on um, uh, council, your enthusiasm for council seems to wax and wane. Uh, a couple years ago, you missed 12 of 26 council meetings. Uh, that's 24 regular council meetings and two special council meetings. So I guess you have the time and dedication to put in the job. I, I've been mayor before, and I've watched how much more time it takes now than it did 10 years ago in that. And to do it right, it takes a huge amount of time, which I'm ready to do. Okay. There were several questions there. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I running for mayor? I'm running for mayor. Um, because I believe I can do a better job as mayor than I can as council. Um, I was on council for four years, and I recognize that there are seven of us, each with differences of opinion, a lot going on. We need to work together, and it's sometimes uh, easy to fall into the back of your chair and follow uh, the lead of the others. And I noticed how significant a difference that can make when you choose to engage and how we influence our agenda. And I feel that the mayor has, while um, they have the same vote as the other six, they have a tremendous influence over the agenda and setting the priority. And you never get to just lean into the back of your chair uh, and play a backseat role. I, I was on the fence going into it and I, I felt like I needed to either be all in or all out. So my decision was, do I run for council? And if I want to be on council, I want to run as mayor. And I believe that the mayor in this town should be uh, providing a very different role than it has in the past. And that we need to work with our council. And that is such a unique position because we need to prepare the council for how to enter every meeting so that we're not educating ourselves at the table we're deliberating and we're addressing and making policy decisions. And I feel sometimes uh, we aren't as prepared as we should be, partly because we spend a lot of time uh, going back and forth about um, where we land on particular issues. Um, and what was your last question in there? There, was, there were a couple there. You have there. the time. Do I have the time? I think you always make the time. I think people ask that of people who have two kids and then they, uh, they get pregnant and they say, well, how do you make the time? Um, when something is important, you make the time for it. I've had the luxury in this town of having a source of income in the valley, but also the opportunity uh, when necessary to commute and travel to uh, supplement our income, uh, sometimes actually to offset our losses. Um, and that happened during the recession. So during the recession, um, while times were tough, I had an opportunity that, that fell into my lap and I chose to commute every week to Atlanta 
for a year and a half, and I would typically leave Crested Butte at um, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and I would drive four to six hours to catch my flight, and I wouldn't return home to see my family until typically two to three in the morning after driving from Denver because the Denver flight that I had to take got me into the Denver airport at 9.30 at night. And so I was very committed to making it work, and I am willing as needed to take that extra effort. So yes, I will make the time. I will be committed. I do not have any opportunities outside this town. I will be here every week. Jim, I will make every single meeting, and I am committed <laughs> to making this town uh, as good as it's ever been. Thanks, Chris. It's your turn to ask a question. One question. Um, <laughs> it was curious that you brought up the comedy festival in the context of off-season, because I feel that was one area where we differed greatly, um, but one where your position seems to have changed. The only reason the town council had even discussed the comedy festival as an opportunity was that you brought it to the council. And one of the things that was required of that proposal was to retrofit and potentially expand the big mine facility, add sprinklers so that we could accommodate a thousand people in town in June. I was very opposed with us entertaining that because it was in the midst of a series of conversations we were having about are we growing too fast? Are we putting too much pressure on our June and July? And how are we going to house the people that are already trying to get by? But yet, we were about to entertain a 1,000-person comedy event in June in the very same facility that hosted the whatever event. You were for it then. It sounds like you're against it now. Where do you stand on the comedy festival? Okay, I was asked by the staff to attend a meeting about the Comedy Festival. Uh, the, uh, a presentation was being made by the proponents. Uh, uh, one was uh, uh, Divine's nephew and, and John Norton. It was out at this, the uh, country club. I um, brought that back to the council, made the presentation. Uh, it was very clear very soon that that uh, people were not in favor of that. Um, you know, people have ac accused me of being wishy-washy over the years, but I don't think I, if I've been wishy-washy, it's to get good results. You don't get a town this good by being wishy-washy. You don't uh, put together a group and chair uh, the committee that put the loop and trail together by being wishy-washy. Uh, you take in comments from everybody and emphasize those. Now about the, specifically about the um, ice rink being a thousand seat uh, facility, um, we have had some uh, bigger bands and we are limited whether it's a band or whatever kind of event, uh, I can't imagine a thousand people at a wedding, but um, you know, it, 
it to me I've been to a couple uh, events there it was a surprisingly good acoustical event uh, I was there a couple music festival events that I was very impressed with it's something that was brought up and I was probably in favor of us talking about it and finding out how much it would cost to put sprinklers right now we can have up to 500 people the fire department and everybody says if you go more than that by building code you have to put sprinklers in even though it's a metal building with this concrete floor and it's open on three sides um, so that's just the rules for that so was there a question that we wanted to consider that um, you know I I will say I brought it up yes will I say that I was uh, totally in love with the idea you know when you when you sit back and think well maybe we'll have the next guy up as far as a concert here I certainly would have had interest in uh, considering it at the time you know I think one of the toughest things on the council is if I, and I've seen this happen if you are in the minority on the council you don't fight for that minority position you embrace the majority position and do with it make it the best you can and I've seen people do that I've seen people on both sides of it over the years and I've seen people get personal because they disagreed with somebody about a certain issue you can't do that sometimes you you are going to be on the minority and a lot of times that's what the council is for to, to have people convince you of things you're talking about uh, uh, communication between council members I before every meeting I would call the mayor on Sunday or Monday before the meeting and we would usually talk a half hour to an hour about the items around the, the meeting he consistently told me and I did that not only with Glenn but with Huck and um, with Leah before um, Glenn always told me I was the only one who would who called him on a consistent basis he could depend on that so uh, you know that's the way I like to work I like to talk to people ahead of time I don't think you can make your decisions ahead of time but it is good to know how people feel uh, when they are when you walk into the council meeting Okay, the next question is coming from a listener of KBUT and a reader of the Crested Butte News. The Valley's land managers are tasked with addressing the increasing number of human impacts to the local environment caused by the growing number of users in the backcountry. At the same time, other sectors like restaurant and retail profit from these growing numbers. How can this disparity be addressed? How can those who benefit be part of the solution? Chris. I think we all benefit from the increase in traffic, but we all suffer the impacts. Um, there may be direct impacts to the business community, direct benefits, um, because when people are here, they spend money. Um, but I do think we ought to consider, is it feasible to have user fees, maybe, maybe not. But how do you how do you mitigate the impacts and spread the load, so that um, those who are benefiting pay in a little more of their fair share, but that we all bear that equally? So I I agree um, 
that we need to do something to cover these impacts. I think it's a little unfair to direct it at specific elements of the community, um, like the business community. But I will acknowledge, yeah, as a restaurant, when more people are here um, for events, they, they will go out to eat. Um, and I think it's a tough one, but I'm willing to work on that and find the right balance. I thought one of the best things this year was the um, Crestview Conservation Corps. I think they did a terrific job in the backcountry of mitigating a lot of those problems that we've all seen about overuse. Uh, that and the Mountain Manners program combined to talk to people. And I'm sure they gave, got a few uh, you know, one-finger salutes from some people. But uh, I think they got a lot of... Uh, uh, very good input. They did great work on the trails. The town has funded them for two years in a row. We were not shy about funding them. Um, I don't think we'll be shy about funding them in the future. Uh, again, looking at the federal budget and looking at wildfires and that, the Forest Service is spending more and more of their budget on wildfires. Uh, certainly from when I first came here, there's, there's fewer campgrounds, there's fewer Forest Service people on the ground, and there's a heck of a lot more people out there. Um, I think it's the thing we have to realize, and then, and then now, uh, you know, with this thing about the county taking over patrolling the backcountry, uh, who knows how much of a patrol from the, the county is going to be out there in the future. Mount well, Crested Butte's been doing a good job in general responding to uh, issues in the back in the back country. Um, it's difficult. We're loving this place to death. We're loving our parks to death. Uh, I've always said that it's been my goal to make this the best place possible for the people who live here and that people will come. I think it's a waste of money to spend time on advertising if you don't have a good product. And I think we've built an incredible product and it wasn't by accident. Um, whether it's the trails or the physical facilities around town, um, I'm just r real proud of what we've done the last few years. Have we gone too far? Should we require everybody to have a uh, 62 Chevy sitting in the front lawn on blocks? That would increase the ambiance of town and maybe keep some people out. Um, I, I say I'm guilty of bringing uh, you know, some Midwest values to town. Uh, myself and Bill Crank and West Light and a few others came from the Midwest where we had parks and paved streets and, and some sidewalks and uh, recreational fields. And uh, we've been, that's what we put here. So, I plead guilty to that. Okay, the next question is about affordable housing. It seems to be agreed upon among the council that Brush Creek is too dense. Uh, but it's also agreed that we need something like it, but it needs to be spread out across the county. There's not much space left in town. So with that said, people living in Brush Creek can't vote in town and people living in affordable housing in town limits can. So, two questions. 
What would affordable housing look like with the limited space we have left? Is it high density? Is it single family homes? Is it tiny homes? Is it mobile home parks? Um, and why the pushback against the Brush Creek plan if it's something we say we need? So what does it look like in town and why are we pushing back against the Brush Creek plan as it is? I'll jump on it first. Um, I think the pushback is for a couple reasons. One is for the density and the other is for you know, we've been lulled to death by these AMI figures that have been thrown out all the time. And, um, you know, they're talking about this being an affordable project and 65% affordable, and they've kicked their affordability limit up to 180% uh, of AMI, average mean income. Uh, what does that mean? 160% or 180%, rather, is the figure they're using for one person is $89,000. Uh, the if 100% of AMI is is $49,000 for one person, uh, 56 for two-person family. When you start talking about those numbers and how much people have to get paid an hour, uh, you know, just to hit that 100% to work 40 hours a week, you have to be making almost $25 an hour. There's a heck of a lot of jobs that aren't even close to that in this town. So what they're talking about out there is a false affordable project. And they're asking the, the county and the towns and CBMR to give them that land and really not produce that. I mean, they're talking about, you know, setting the uh, uh, rents at 30% of of AMI, again, at 100%, that comes out to $1,225 for a single person a month. Um, a tad high, I think. 60%, it's, it's $735 a month. And I think these figures also, because of our economy, and we've talked about this already, is that there's a lot of people who work a lot in the winter and a lot in the summer and then have about four months a year off. So they're only making two-thirds of these figures, even at the $25 an hour. Um, you asked what, would, what should housing look like? I see us increasing the density. You know, if we plan for a duplex in uh, Paradise Park, we should look at making a threeplex or probably, or maybe a quad. If it's a single-family house, let's look at making it a for-sale duplex. I don't see, you know, throwing up giant uh, buildings. If we make it too dense and too big, I mean, you guys remember last winter when we actually had snow? There was a major parking problem. There was no place to put the snow and no place to park. We can't have over-density, but we can have reasonable density. I don't like micro-houses, small houses, because they take up a lot of land. Um, I would rather see a fourplex of four 600 square foot units than four 600 square foot mini houses. It's much more efficient. Uh, you can share walls, you can share uh, heating. It just works much better in a lot of ways. I'm sorry, I've talked too long. We've been talking about affordable housing in my uh, entire tenure on council. 
There's a lot not to like about the Brush Creek proposal. Um, but I think we often get sucked into the details because that's the way the proponent wants it. Sometimes the devil is the details. Um, what we should be talking about is what should affordable housing look like in town and in the north end of the valley, and that is that we need people to live and work in the same community. When we approved as a council the anthracite project, it was critical to that project that everyone be in town with walking distance to shops and restaurants. And here we are looking at a project that's two miles south of town where the need is in Mount Crested Butte, the town of Crested Butte, and we now are looking at, through master lease agreements, having the proponent tie up the first phase of over 120 units to three employers in the valley. That's CBMR, the hospital, and Western. And if that's true, we essentially have an employee housing project that's funded by taxpayers, rubber stamped by the mountain, that pretty much impacts the town of Crested Butte more than any other municipality, yet we haven't had a voice. And we need to get our voice heard and tell everyone what we want. So what I have consistently said is that we need to act more quickly, make a plan on how we address housing within the town limits, whether or not county uh, is a part of that, because they want to support those who are actually acting on it. We have several parcels in town. We have block 76. We have the remains of 79 and 80. Three of those parcels are still single family residences. We have other parcels we've considered over the years by the gravel pits and Beckwith. Many of these may or may not work, but we need to talk about them all. Mount Crested Butte needs to start moving on a project right now. We should be doing something in CB South. Those are the three communities of the north end of the valley. That's where housing needs to be built so people can walk to their jobs. There are no jobs at Brush Creek unless you're a caddy at the golf course. And I would suggest that if we really want to address the need, that the Brush Creek proposal needs to get smaller, get more affordable, be split up, and put the housing where the jobs are. Thank you, candidates. A few more questions here. The town of Crested Butte, this one comes from a former mayor, a very recently former mayor. The town of Crested Butte doesn't have a strategic or master plan. In this year's budget, the council set aside $25,000 to begin the process of creating a clear vision for our future. First, do you support this effort? And second, how will you as a mayor lead this process? Let's start with Chris. Absolutely, I support this. And I would very much like to lead the process for the town to not only create a strategic plan, but to actually execute it and let it be a part of every agenda that we set during my tenure. One of the things that I have said repeatedly is that we need to know where we're going if we hope to get there. We need to have a plan so that we can follow it. And the best way to lead the agenda and be effective is for everyone to know what we're talking about and what's important to us. And I feel very strongly that without that, 
um, we can't get there. Now, $25,000 to many seems like a lot by strategic planning standards. It's not. There are a lot, there is a lot of this work that's already been completed through the OVPP process, through community meetings that we hosted in the two years prior. We have uh, those who have been in the community for a long time as resources, and I think we can lean on many of them. We may not have to spend that much money, but I hope we will spend a lot more time and money after that plan is completed, because I don't want it to hit the shelf and collect dust. I want it to guide our every meeting and every single agenda that we have over the next two years or longer. <laughs> uh, I think we differ on this because I feel that the town, well, first of all, we have a lot of plans. Is it worthwhile to review them all? We have a, tr you know, a traffic plan, we have a parks recreation plan, uh, housing plan, um, energy uh, plan. I, th I think we can use the $25,000 to review those. I mean, zoning is a plan, a very strong plan uh, in the town. Do we need to look at some of the zones and say, well, it didn't come out the way that people expected it to come out uh, 45 years ago when the zoning code was put in? Uh, that's a reasonable thing to do. I've, I think, though, in, in some ways, we've been overly consulted. And I'm, I worked as a consultant myself for about six months, way long time ago, back in 1973. Um, I worked at night uh, and watched the Watergate hearings at that time during the day. But um, I, I really think we have the resources our planning department and the council, we have a good feel of the town, of where we're going. I just, you know, it seems like when everybody calls for a master plan, they want to spend a whole lot of money, and I am totally afraid that it is going to sit on the shelf. But I think the plans we have, in effect, now, including zoning, have shaped this town. I mean, I, I think of so many th things like the um, our small house ordinance where we have realtors screaming at us that there would never be a house built in this town again if, if that went in. Um, I think they were wrong. Um, so I, I guess I disagree with Chris on that. Uh, maybe, but I do appreciate people knowing where they're going. I think it's very important to review what we have and not have to reinvent everything every uh, five or six years. We're gonna take one more question from the audience. This is Jim Starr. You each have talked about how you need to have the affordable housing where the people work, which I think everyone agrees with given the housing needs assessment and the numbers that are identified for the need, how would you propose that we build that many units, if not a lot of units, at Brush Creek, here in CB and in Mount CB, and perhaps CB South, 
Second question, would you also promote the idea of affordable housing being built in Skyland, which once had affordable housing, which no longer exists? I'll, I'll start with that one. Start with Chris. <clears throat> the Brush Creek proposal um, and the proponents often talk about how there's this overwhelming need for housing in the north end of the valley. And they talk and reference the needs assessment. They mention 171 units are needed. They then forget to mention that the free market is expected to provide all the housing necessary for those making above 80% of the area median income. That leaves 93 units. So there are 93 units needed. The proposal at Brush Creek provides 240 units, of which 30 are addressing the need for those making 80% or less. To me, that's overkill. That's like fishing with dynamite. And I think to get 90 units, we should build 30 units in Mount Crested Butte, where they have 17 acres. They lost 44 units alone just when the Marcelina complex flooded. It went into foreclosure. Mount CB did not replace those units. There is a need for 30 units up there. Rumble is now talking about working with CBMR, but Rumble is taking a leadership position on affordable housing, whereas the Valley's largest employer is perhaps falling behind. Maybe we need 30 units in Mount CB. Maybe we need 30 more units in the town of Crested Butte. We built 30 units at Anthracite Place. We can do 30 that would fit perhaps in Block 76 right next to Rainbow Park. They might look different than those in Mount CB. Another 30 could either be on the Brush Creek parcel or in CB South. Both were identified in the needs assessment as ideal locations for housing, but not 240. So I would split it, I would address the 93, I would address exactly what the housing needs assessment told us we needed, which was 93 units, stop there, evaluate, see where we are, and try to do some other things along the way. Over the years, I have fought for every housing project we've had in this town or outside of the town except for the Brush Creek Project. And I've felt very strongly about housing. Um, I remember even back in, uh, I think it was 93, I addressed a conference over in Breckenridge and said, whatever you do, and it was of ski towns, I said, you need to include housing in whatever kind of project you have. Sometimes it's very hard. There was a lot of opposition to uh, Anthracite Place. There was a lot of opposition to Red Lady Estates. Uh, it's difficult to get them all, th all through all the time. Um, again, I absolutely agree with Chris that this project is just way too big. Uh, I was very pleased when uh, 18, 19 years ago that we were able to obtain this parcel for a very low amount of money through, um, it came as a piece of the land trust when they bought the uh, Robinson parcel. And uh, we picked up the 14 acres at that time, or 11 of the acres at that time. Uh, 
and I certainly saw it at, at that time as banking some land for housing in the future. I certainly never imagined anything like 240 acres. Chris is absolutely right, CBMR, when I first moved here, uh, Chadlington House was called employee housing because it was built by the ski area. As employee housing, they put it on the free market. Basically, the same thing happened with Marcelina. They was supposed to be employee housing, and it was for Club Med for many years. It was not just 44 units, but it was 44 three-bedroom units. Um, so that was an awful lot of people that all of a sudden those units disappeared and really put the burden on um, the rest of the community. The town of Crested Butte has done five or six times more housing, has more housing units than the rest of Mount Crested Butte and the county combined at this end of the valley. Uh, we have not let any deed restrictions go away. Um, like Chris was referring to out in uh, Skyland, there were some deed restrictions that were let go out there. Some of the Stallion Park units at uh, Buckhorn Ranch were uh, let go and sold. Some of the Rock Creek down by the city of Gunnison behind Walmart there that the county had put in, um, they were let go. It's hard at times when you're, quote, in a difficult economic times to hold on to that housing, but you've got to know you're going to need it in the future. That's been a disappointing thing to me. But Chris is right. There's room in Mount Crested Butte. Uh, you know, I've heard about this combination between Rumble and CBMR for a long time. It doesn't seem to, I don't know if it's, it has that much traction. This, one of the scariest things to me about the Brush Creek parcel is that if it happens, it is going to change the ratio of housing, especially rental housing at this end of the valley. But if we go through two years of planning, or a year and a half of planning before approval or not approval, and they walk away for it, we've wasted a whole bunch of time. That's why I had pushed um, in phone conferences with the partners, with the county, with Mount Crest Butte, and, C and uh, CBMR to have a public meeting before the um, proponent came up with his final plan. And the county said, no, that's not the way we do it. We let them have a plan and then we deal with it at the LUR. I think we could have saved so much time if we let the, you know, the Brush Creek neighborhood uh, and the people of the town of Crested Butte uh, come in at that time and talk about it. Unfortunately, we're down the road. Um, very frustrating. Very frustrating. I hope the county listens to it, but at the same time, I hope it doesn't sour everybody on affordable housing, and I, I just hope it doesn't waste a whole bunch of time and end up with nothing. We're looking for a very short answer from this next question. What are you hoping to get for Christmas, Hanukkah, <laughs> Kwanzaa, or whatever tree-burning ceremony you participate in during these dark, cold days of late fall and early winter? Short answer, please. Chris, we'll start with you. <laughs> oh, what do I want? I want to win this election, be your mayor, 
and stay here for as long as I can. Jim? Uh, we could use a little snow. Uh, <laughs> that might be nice. Um, that's it. Um, that's it. <laughs> Mic drop. Okay, this is going to be the final question of the evening. Why should we vote for you instead of your opponent? What makes you different from your opponent? Let's start with Jim. I think number one is my experience and my ability to work with a lot of different people to get things done. Um, you know, I can think about a couple things like the Loop and Trail, working together with a very diverse group of trail users to uh, plot out that trail and you know get most of it built in the, just a couple days. Uh, very rewarding experience. Uh, the again, the main thing when you work together in a council, when we finally came under the STR program. You know, uh, we talked about our solution. The majority on the council agreed with the solution that we've put in. Chris voted against it. When we had uh, a situation just recently about Brush Creek, Chris brought together a resolution that was very uh, strong. It seemed more of a poke in the eye than a, a meaningful resolution that would have accomplished anything. I'm not sure if there was anybody on, else on the council that agreed with Chris that we should have passed that re resolution. I think you'll find a person who listens to everybody. I, when you look at my record, it's not just one of sitting on the council, but of coming up with new ideas from little ideas like banning drive-up windows in town. So you have to talk to the person in the bank line instead of just sitting in your car and, and burning gasoline. Um, you know, from, from building the Delhi Trail the day after we closed on the town ranch to planning the Lupin Trail two months before we closed on the Kachiva parcels. You get a person who has a vision, who can take opportunities. Not all the ideas are mine, but if there's a good idea, I jump behind it and, and uh, follow up on it. So I would appreciate your vote in uh, less than two weeks. It's been a long, painful election. It's just a runoff. Chris, why should we vote for you instead of your opponent? What makes you different from your opponent? I believe that uh, Jim and I have a lot of differences that sometimes aren't widely appreciated. But no one can disagree that Jim has has provided a fantastic uh, value to this town. Nobody loves this town more deeply. Um, but I feel we both love this town, and what we're trying to do right now is to separate how we would both be mayor of this town. Uh, my feeling is that the role of mayor is very different. And it's not a question sometimes of hearing that um, how I feel or commiserating with you about how you feel, sometimes we'll just flat out disagree. Um, but I think the role of mayor often is one to lead the council, lead the town based on the opinions, 
the feedback, the information that we have. And I have taken a leadership position on the Brush Creek proposal when no one else was willing to because I felt like it was indicative of Crested Butte's past where we like to say what we don't like, we're comfortable saying no, but we have a really hard time of articulating what we want. We don't often say, this is the Crested Butte we want in the future, because that would imply that that's a different Crested Butte than we're enjoying right now, and we love the status quo. And I think that what you need in a mayor is someone who's willing to hear and listen to everyone, and I will do that. And I know and hope that Jim will continue to listen to everyone and contribute to the town. But what we need going forward is to get ahead of the changes that are coming our way. We need to tell the county and our fellow municipalities where we want to go, what the Crested Butte we hope for will look like in five, 10, 15 years from now, and actually start making actions and make the change that needs to occur. I have done this in, in town, outside of town, and I hope to do this for you as mayor. This has been a great event this evening. We're looking to wrap it up. Can we get closing statements from each candidate? One minute, Jim. Okay. When I first came here, there were three guys came up here from Alabama, and they went out hunting first day of elk season. And after about an hour, they came across some tracks in the woods. And the first one looks at the tracks and says, uh, them there is elk tracks. I've been hunting all my life, and my daddy told me everything about hunt. he knew about hunting, and I know them there's deer tracks, or elk tracks. The second one says, no way, boy, them there's deer tracks. I've been hunting all my life, and my daddy and his daddy told me everything they know about hunting. I know them there's deer tracks. The third one was about to say something when the train hit him. <laughs> the point of this is sometimes you can get too immersed in details. You have to keep your eye on the big picture as well. It's something I know I can do, that I have done. Um, I think that's about my minute. Chris, closing statement, please. Oh, I thought that last question was our closing statement. <laughs> you thought. <laughs> Um, again, I really want to thank everyone for this opportunity. I hope uh, to become your mayor. Um, and I really want to protect all the great things about this town. I want this to be something that, um, when we look back and say, you know, how did we contribute to town that we did something that we're proud of. I want the future of Crested Butte to really have more long-term rentals than short-term rentals. I want there to be more year-round full-time jobs than there are today. I want the mix of locals to be higher. I want the dark houses to go away. And I think that, um, as Jim said, you have to be looking ahead. And I think that that's something we haven't done as much of over the past 20 years. I think it's something that's critical for us to do over the next 20 years. I'm ready to get that plan into action and start making these decisions with my fellow council members. Uh, and I look forward to uh, being your mayor, and I would appreciate your vote on or before December 19th. Well, thanks a lot for a great event. This was the KBUT Crested Butte News.
Mayor's Runoff Forum. Hopefully we're not doing this again in two years and we don't have a runoff. But thanks everyone for coming. We really appreciate it. Thanks to the Millardi Cabaret Theater, Crested Butte Mountain Theater for hosting us. And uh, thanks to Mark at the Crested Butte News for helping spread the word. And Chris at KBUT for hosting live in the studio.